Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. Man, it's good to see y'all this morning. Okay, good. I was hoping that was reciprocal. Uh, you may open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And uh, I, I always entitle my sermons. I don't know why, but I do. And today's when lockdown didn't work. <laughs> We've been living through a year when the government has locked us down. You know, you can't go here, can't do that. And Americans have been kind of bristling at that. We're not used to that. Uh, don't like it at all, uh, most people. And, uh, but there, there's, there's a power, there's, a, there's someone that is greater than anyone or anything else or any other power in the universe. In fact, there is no power that he did not create, and that is Jesus. And they tried to lock him down, but that didn't work. And, uh, and so we follow him. And so I, I want you to hear how important the resurrection is. I, you know, uh, so many people, we go to, every year we come to Easter time, we see the world talking about Easter, uh, but uh, they're wearing bunny ears and doing a bunch of crazy stuff. I just saw a picture of that somewhere uh, yesterday, so it just kind of stuck in my head. But, but the resurrection is way more important. I just want you to hear the first four verses of Romans. Paul, this is the author, human author of the book of Romans, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in Holy Scripture, talking about the Old Testament, concerning his son who was descended from David. So we're talking about Jesus who was descended from David according to the flesh, descended from David according to the flesh, because God is his father, Mary his mother, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we both have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. That, what Paul says in this book, goes on to explain. Uh, it takes 16 chapters for him to unfold those first few verses. But I want you to understand, we're not going to stay in Romans. I we're going to look at a couple of texts today. But I want you to understand that this is the most important fact of history. In fact, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, there is nothing more important than that. that. That nothing else has meaning apart from that. It does not carry the meaning. Nothing has more consequence than the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Man accounts their great achievements uh, through time and history. We, we talk about great battles won, great things that are built, great, uh, great uh, achievements going to the moon being maybe one of them. But these all fade into oblivious irrelevance in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that God promised man was bought for us on a cross and made sure by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man believes and embraces this fact to his eternal joy and salvation. But man also will ignore this to his eternal peril and his eternity in hell. The resurrection provides not only our hope for an eternal life after death, but it provides a power now for us to live that already eternal life here on the earth. Somebody say... Amen. And today as I'm going through some scripture, I want you to remember this, that, that if we truly see Jesus, our lives will be changed. 
You've heard these testimonies. I was weeping at some of these testimonies. Just my heart was stirred. It was so great to hear. I, I mean, we could have just had the, you know, invited you to come to Christ after the choir finished singing. That's how I got saved. Man, that's a, that, was, that was unbelievable. I want you to hear clearly what the Word of God says about the resurrection. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, turn there if you want to. And by the way, our church has an, its own app. You've got to look up Calvary Baptist Stanton, you can find it. It's got the orange C with a cross in the middle. Uh, and you can look on that. And I'm telling you that. We also have a website. But I tell you that because the sermon outline notes that I don't ever tell you or show you are on there. If you ever want to look it up, you can see that there. But the first thing that we see, we see Jesus on the cross. Now, this happened Friday. This happened two days ago, three days ago, really, Sunday, Saturday, Friday. This happened on Friday. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, gives the outline of the Gospels. The same author as a human author as the book of Romans. The same human author, Paul, writes this. For I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, he goes on to say, and he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then listen to what he says. He appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul says in that verse. Listen, you've got to understand, you, we've been throwing this word saved around a lot. And some of you, you're here because your mom invited you, your neighbor invited you, your friend, some family member invited you. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church. Or maybe you're not used to a Baptist church, um, and this might be your first time here. Maybe you think, I'm nuts and crazy. That's okay. I don't care. But, uh, but I want you to understand that word saved. You say, well, saved means saved from what, right? That should be the first question. If, if someone is rescued from drowning, they got saved from drowning, right? If you avoided somehow a car accident, you were saved from having a wreck. Well, when we say saved in this context, what we mean is that man is born on his way to hell because man has no good in him. There is nothing good that dwells in man, according to the Scripture, that all sin, we all sin, we all come short of the glory of God. You heard these testimonies, and, and in those you heard, man, I, I wasn't living right, I wasn't doing the right things, even though there was a knowledge of God, an understanding of God. And so you can go to church every week and still not know Christ or be saved. I mean... I can go to McDonald's, that don't make me a hamburger, right? You can go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. The thing that makes you a Christian is a personal knowledge of who God is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you and gave his life for you. And so on Friday, Christ, the Bible puts it this way, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died and he took all my sin on him, the penalty of my sin. In the very beginning, and we've been studying the book of Genesis, we'll get back to that next week, but we were studying the book of Genesis and in there God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil and said, if you eat it, you will die. Now they thought 
touch it, man, I just fall over dead. But in reality, what God was telling them is that your spirit, your soul, who you really are inside, you will die because you will have rebelled against God who made you and gave you one commandment and they couldn't keep it. You know, how are we going to keep ten? We couldn't keep one. How are we going to keep all the commandments that men make up for us in church and outside of church if we couldn't even keep one? Just don't eat that tree. There's plenty of food over here. Eat all you want. Just don't eat that one. And they go straight to it and eat it. And so man fell. Man became a sinner. And that sin was passed on to every person born to Adam and Eve and every person born throughout history since then. And so we were sinners and we needed a Savior. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Then it says that he was buried. So many times we talk about the Lord. Maybe you heard people talk. We say, well, you know, he died, but he rose again. We forget he was buried. That's important. That was very important. You'll see a little bit later on. But I'll just say this. That a lot of people will try to explain the resurrection because they don't want to believe Jesus physically in his body came out of the grave and is still alive today. And one of the things they say is, well... The women got confused when they went to the tomb and went to the wrong one. I mean, if you had a loved one die and they're buried in another place and you haven't been there in a long time and you go back and you go, now, wait a minute, which, where, where is that grave? You know, I get that. But the Bible lets us know this, that his mom was there when they put him in the tomb. And this is two days later. I mean, that was Friday night. Saturday came, then Sunday morning came. I don't think she forgot from Friday to Sunday morning where they put her boy. She knew what tomb to go to. They all did, they, obviously. Jesus was buried and he was in that tomb. Why is that important? Because it shows that he was dead. There's no doubt he was dead. The Romans wouldn't have taken him off the cross if he were dead. In fact, the Bible lets us know that. The two guys on both sides of Jesus, it took days to die of a crucifixion. Because you died by asphyxiation. You died because as your joints came out, your bones came out of joint, you would sink down until you would be choked to death. I know a man that, that fell out of a tree stand and, a, and his harness wasn't put on correctly and his coat caught up on him and it choked him to death. Friend, let me tell you something. Jesus, those men would have hung there for days under normal circumstances before they finally died. And the Jews said, hey, we can't have people hanging up on crosses because it's Passover tomorrow, and they got to be dead and down. And so the Romans said, no problem, we can handle it. And they took a, a big old hammer, walked to the first guy and broke his legs, and the guys on the other side broke that guy's legs so he couldn't pull himself up. You wonder, what's breaking his legs got to do with killing him? It's so he can't pull himself up and breathe. And they came to Jesus and went, wait a minute, he already looks dead. See, the Bible said none of his bones would be broken, which is a sign of a curse from God. And so they said, well, let's just jab him. And they stuck a spear in his side, and blood and water came out, which is a sign that the, the, the sack around the heart had already, the heart had burst in that sack, and blood and water both spilled out. Jesus had already died. The dude was dead, and he was buried. And then on the third day, according to 1 Corinthians and other scriptures, he got up. <laughs> he rose again. He's alive today. Jesus rose from the dead. And in fact, so much so that he appeared to a bunch of people after his resurrection. In fact, they could be in a locked room and poop, there he is. And they go, ah, it's a ghost. It's not a ghost. Give me some fish. And he'd eat fish. Friend gave me some trout this week and I ate that fish and oh man, it was good. And Jesus said, you got some fish? Man, I like fish. Let's eat it. And they are totally freaked out, man. It blew their minds. 
Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And you heard what I read in Romans. What that said, that he rose bodily from the grave, is that he is the Son of God. No doubt, no question. You heard, you heard it said, uh, I think it was uh, Bobby Sims that said it. They read that book more than a carpenter. Because, friend, what he said there is very true. Jesus is either who he said he was, the Son of God, proved it by dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again, or... He's a liar. He just fooled a bunch of people. Or he's crazy. He's not just a good man because a good man wouldn't lie. He, 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 he wasn't mistaken. He had to be crazy to claim to be the son of God. But the Bible says in Romans, by coming out of that grave, he proved it to be the son of God. And so you can either accept him or reject him, but there is no middle ground with Jesus. There's middle ground with everybody else, but not with Jesus. You got to take one or the other. So Jesus was seen on the cross. Jesus was seen in the tomb. I, I just want you to hear the story of the resurrection a little bit in, in Mark. And, and I heard another preacher talking about this this week. And, and uh, maybe you heard him. I don't know. But I'm going to steal a little bit of what he said. I'm not going to say it as well as he did. But I just want to point out a few things. In Mark 15, we have the story of the resurrection. We have it in other places, but I'm using Mark 15. It just says, when evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Nobody wanted to bury Jesus. They were all scared of him. The Pharisees hated him. They didn't want to touch him. They were going to let him be embarrassed by not being buried. And so this one man, Joseph, goes to Pilate and says, can I have the body? And they said, sure. So Pilate, surprised to hear that he was already dead, I told you that that was unusual. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned that the centurion said, yeah, he's dead, they gave the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought him a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let me just tell you something about that. The reason they had to bury him quickly and they just wrapped him up and stuck him in the tomb is it was Friday night. At sundown, the Jewish Sabbath begins. And this is the highest holy day for the Jewish people. In that year, it was on the day of, of the Passover. And so they're going to celebrate Passover. And so they had to get him off the cross and get him in the tomb. So they did that. And then we realize, because the Bible goes on to say in verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. These women, this was not just a, oh, let's get up, have some coffee. Hey, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's, let's go visit Jesus' tomb. Now, now I'm, I'm an old timer for you young folks and some of y'all say, no, you don't look that old to me. Well, it's because you're older than me, okay? So, but if you're older than me or my age, you remember, I remember my mom taking me to the cemetery when I was a kid, and we would clean off grandma's grave. She would go see where her mother and dad were buried, and we would clean off the grave and take flowers and plants. And Easter, man, you go put Easter lilies on it. Christmas, you go put some other kind of flower on it. And that just, we did that. Well, they're going to the tomb, now, they were going expecting to find a dead guy. Get that in your mind. They, they're not believing that he's going to come back from the dead yet. And here's the 
something else. They got ready to go find a dead guy because they had prepared spices to anoint him for his death. They didn't have time to do it on Friday, put him in there real quick. And what I learned somewhere else was that those spices weighed about 300 pounds, what they were going to stick in there on him. They did a little bit, but they didn't do enough, and they wanted to go back and do enough. And so these women are going to see, and on the Sabbath it comes, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. In verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And then, I, I don't want to belittle ladies, but suddenly they went, oh, we forgot one thing. Who is going to move the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They, they begin to wonder, what are we going to do about the stone? See, I mean, I don't know, we, we don't bury people like this, but Jesus' tomb was a cave. It's stuck in the side of a mountain. And the way they sealed it is they rolled a stone up there. Now, it's big enough for a person to get in. And maybe you've never tried to pick up a, a stone that big. That's pretty heavy. But a stone, let's say the entrance is only that big, but a stone that would cover that entrance, I can't move by myself. I might could move it downhill with a big old stick and push it over. And it would fall on its own power. But there's no way I can push it uphill, that's for sure. That's going to be a big stone. And on the way, the women went, what about the stone? How are we going to get that thing moved? We're not strong enough to push it out of the way. You know what they needed? They needed some strong, courageous men. Some strong, courageous men. That would have been good if they'd had some strong, courageous men. But they were hiding in an upper room, shaking like this. Because they figured they were next. Sometimes it takes a braver woman to shame men and do what they should have done to start with, right? Just, it's just an offering to you ladies so you don't get mad at something else I'll say later and make you mad. All right, just, I know that. So they prepared the spices. They were ready to anoint a dead body. They think about the stone too late, and the Bible doesn't leave you hanging. The very next words it says, and they saw the stone was rolled away. It says, uh, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. The Bible just wants to make you aware. They didn't like stuff him in a little hole. This was a big stone that it was going to take some effort and it's gone. In other passages in this, uh, about this, in Matthew, we learn, now Matthew or John, we learn that after they had buried Jesus, the Pharisees who had put him to death, they needed Rome to do it because they didn't have the legal right to do it. So they had to convince Rome to do it. They go to Rome and say, hey, we got one more favor to ask you. They said, what? It's, this, this is astounding to me because the irony is so thick you could cut it with, with a buoy knife. They knew that Jesus said he would get up from the dead three days after he had died. And didn't believe him. The disciples believed him and didn't remember that he said he was going to get up three days later. Now that's kind of crazy. If the disciples had remembered, they'd have been standing there going, I can't wait to see this. It's going to be cool, right? But no. And so the Pharisees said to the, to the Roman authorities, would you seal the tomb and put a guard in front of it? They went, no problem. So they go and they put an official government seal, yellow tape, something. I don't know how they sealed it, hot wax, I don't know. But they sealed it, said nobody can cross this line, and posted a guard in front. Now, that guard was made up of 16 men that took 
shifts, every 15 minutes, four men would stand in front of the tomb because if one man in that guard, it was such a, an elite guard, if one man fell asleep, quit paying attention, they would kill the whole guard. If they failed in their efforts, they would kill all 16 men. If one guy messed up, they're all dead. So these ladies stole the body, right? So the disciples in the upper room, scared to death, stole the body, right? So the Jewish leaders who hated him and had even made a plot to kill Lazarus, who also came back from the dead at the word of Jesus, and he was telling everybody about Jesus and about hanging out in heaven for four days before he came back, they wanted to kill him too. They took the body so that the, the disciples could preach about the resurrection, right? And of course, Rome would have wanted the body to be raised from the dead because they're the ones putting him to death and sealed the tomb to start with. Oh, wait, we're only left with one option. He's alive. In fact, the force of the Greek word that the stone was rolled away is more like it exploded off of the entrance. It's rolled far away. It's not like just got enough so a guy could squeeze out. It's gone. Now, remember, you got this Roman guard standing there. When they get there, they find this Roman guard. They just, we, we find in another passage, some angels showed up, and they just fell over like they were dead. And then they run off and tell, hey, we fell asleep. We, something happened. We got knocked out. And the Jewish people said, here, here's some money. Don't say anything. We'll bribe the Roman government. And that's what they did so that they wouldn't say that they fell asleep and, or whatever. And Jesus came back from the dead. And, and here is, I want you to understand this. Jesus did not get up spiritually. He got up physically. Remember, he was wrapped up. And John tells us that they did wrap him before they stuck him in there. They were going to come back, unwrap him, fill it up with spices, and then put him back. That was the plan of the women. So he did have something wrapped up. Jesus did not sit up on the side of the tomb and kind of stretch and push the stone out of the way and walk out. He just disappeared and appeared on the other side of the rock. His physical body came back to life. But he didn't need the stone to be rolled away to get out. I mean, listen, if you can come back from the dead, a little stone ain't going to stop you. Amen? And so he just came out. And I just, the stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, so you could get in. And see that he wasn't there. And the Bible rounds us out in the, all the passages that tell us about it, that these angels showed up and knocked the stone away and then just sat on it like, okay, let's hang out and wait. I don't know about you, but I got a very vivid imagination. I, I, I can just see Jesus going, time to get up. And that power that he came back from the dead with just blew that stone off of that entrance. And the angels showed up going, cool. Or they just kicked it. Boom. Oh, there it goes. Field goal. Good job. You know, whatever that angel's name was. It's just gone. And then they just sat and waited. Well, the women will be here in a little while. Let's just hang out. And they came and said, who are you looking for? Why are you looking for the dead, the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Go and tell Peter and the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And that's exactly what they did. We find out in John, they run, they tell the disciples. Nine of them are still shaking. Peter, who's kind of like the unofficial or official leader of the disciples, humanly speaking, and John, Jesus' best friend, said, we got to go see this. Peter also, because he had failed Christ just before he died. And they go running out of the room. They run down to the grave. And the Bible says when they got there, 
John outran Peter because he was younger, obviously. And Peter uh, got there, but I mean, John got there, but he, he didn't want to go in because he's younger. He didn't know, should I go in, should I wait? So he's kind of trying to look in. Peter is old and either his brakes failed or he didn't care. He just ran straight on in. And when they got in there, they found all that cloth that Jesus was wrapped in just sunk down as if the man that was in them had gone through them without disturbing them. You find that in the book of John. They found the linen cloths lying together and the face napkin lying in a place by itself. Egyptians wrapped from head to toe. The Jewish people wrapped to the neck and then wrapped their head separately. And the Bible specifically says he came out through those clothes and the clothes just sank. And that's what they found. And the Bible says John immediately believed and Peter starts trembling. The guy that I betrayed, the guy that I said I would never betray, I betrayed. I sinned against him just before he died. I didn't get to talk to him after I did it. And now he's alive. What's going to happen next? Oh, my goodness. I'm in trouble. Well, I can't tell you that whole story. But when you get home, read the last chapter in John. You'll see where Jesus restores Peter. But, but I want you to understand something about what's going on here. Jesus is seen by the people he changed. You know, Jesus didn't appear to one gov Ro Roman government official. He didn't, he didn't appear to any agnostics or atheists. He only appeared to the messengers of the gospel. Friend, don't be surprised when people don't see Jesus because they got to see him in you. And you got to be living that changed life. In fact, that very day, there were two men on the road to Emmaus. They left Jerusalem on the way, and while they're walking, suddenly Jesus is walking with them, and they didn't know it was Jesus. He said, what are y'all talking about? They said, what are you, a stranger? You had not heard what's happened? There's this Jesus, this great prophet, they put him to death, and now they're reporting he's not even there anymore. And, and Jesus, the Bible says, beginning at Genesis 1, preached the whole Old Testament to them about why the Messiah would rise from the dead. And then they got there, they said, why don't you come on in and eat with us? He went, okay. So he goes in and he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it as they had seen Christ do a hundred thousand times. And they said, oh, it's Jesus. And he disappeared out of their sight. And those two men, they went from ignorance to light. Jesus revealed himself to Mary Magdalene there at the tomb. She was crying and weeping. And he said, why are you weeping? And he said, my Lord, they, they killed my Lord. And now they, someone's taken the body and he's not there anymore. And he said, Mary. And she turned around and recognized him. And she went from despair to devotion. And his mother, Mary, went from weariness of all the things she had suffered to worship of her own son, according to John chapter 20. Jesus meets these disciples in the upper room same day. They're all met together. They're still shaking after Peter and John gone, come back and said, the women are right. He's not there. We don't know what's going on, but he's not there. And suddenly, there he is in the midst of them. The door was locked, and he just appeared. And they went, ah, it's a ghost. I told you. And he's, I'm not a ghost. You got some fish? Let me eat some fish. Do the ghosts eat food? No, it's me. You touch me. In fact, eight days later, Thomas missed church that Sunday. But he got there next Sunday. And when Thomas shows up, Thomas is this doubter. And he says, put your fingers in my hands. Put your hand in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And the disciples went from fearful people to fierce people. Thomas went from a doubter 
to a surrendered disciple of Jesus Christ. And then I told you about John 21. Peter is on the seashore uh, while he's fishing, and then Jesus helps him catch some fish. They come in, and Jesus deals with Peter on the seashore. And as Jesus talks to Peter, he said, Peter, do you really love me? He says, I do. He said, feed my sheep. Made him say it three times until he realized that Peter finally realized he could not say that he would never fail, that he would never mess up. And then Jesus said, let me tell you what's going to happen to you, son. You, you're going to be carried away and put to death. But don't worry about it. Follow me. And Peter followed him. And from that day, Peter went from hopeless to forgiven. He went from fearful to a follower. And Jesus is there at the seashore. And, and Peter goes from that failure to total deliverance. And then we find in Acts 1-8, Jesus meets with the 12 before he goes, or the 11. Judas is obviously gone. And he says to them, you hang out till power comes from on high. And then when it does, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he ascends into heaven and the disciples are left there looking up and wondering what in the world is going on. And suddenly those angels come back and say, hey guys, why are you just standing around looking in the sky? Jesus that ascended is coming back one day in the same way you saw him leave. Now go do what he said. Get out there. And go wait in Jerusalem till the power comes, and then you'll be a witness. And they went from wonder to witnesses when the Holy Spirit baptized them in the Spirit. And then Jesus, the Bible said, and I read it in 1 Corinthians, he appeared to over 500 people once. That's the only time that's named. 500 people. You know, it's nice to get mentioned. Like, it, 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 can you imagine being mentioned in a book? Like, oh, I want to thank so-and-so. Or you get an honorable mention, you know. Be cool. If your name appears in the Bible, wow. These 500, we don't even know their name. But I wish I was in that 500, don't you? Because it says he appeared to 500 people at once. And, so, and Paul says, you can go talk to them. Some of them have died. Most of them are still hanging out. And you go ask them. They saw him. Friend, that is not a mass hallucination. It would not, it, you can't have those kind of hallucinations over and over. And by the way, it will not spread out so everybody believes it. You see, these disciples who were found trembling and scared in an upper room become so bold and so emboldened as they preach. Uh, they preach to the Jewish leaders and to the Romans on the day of Pentecost. You put him to death. You're the ones that had those guys paying him on the cross, but it's your fault. And that Jesus is the Messiah, and you better receive him. And many, 3,000 men came to know Christ in that moment, on that day. These disciples went from uh, nameless witnesses to bold witnesses of the faith. And then Paul said one other thing. He said, last of all, he appeared to me as one untimely born. And friend, the question is, not whether or not you've seen Jesus, but are you following Jesus? Has he appeared to you in a way, not where you see him, but has he appeared to you in a way that you know he's real? And Paul understood Jesus as the Messiah, and in his anger and his frustration and his fear, he begins to kill Christians until Jesus one day meets him on a road and knocks him down and says, boy, it's hard for you to keep doing that, isn't it? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And that day, Paul went from being a murderer to a missionary. And God expects you to go from what you were to what he wants to make you. Because, friend, there ain't no grave going to hold me down.